And a good Sunday morning to you. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there and to you, Dr. Hilden, as well. Thanks, Denny. Happy Father's Day to everybody. Uh, to you and to Dennis, to my dad, to everybody. I hope you have a great day today. Looks like it might be a decent day to maybe fire up the grill in your backyard from a safe social distance. What do you say? <laughs> Absolutely. 85 the high, I believe, is what we're looking at today. Um, uh, I always like to ask you, Dr. Hilden, before we get on with uh, your guests and this, the show, how was your week at the hospital? What was it like? Well, it, you know, the, it's things are calmed down just a little bit over the past, I'd say the last two to three weeks. And uh, I did what something I haven't done in about four months. And I took two or uh, I took three weekdays off. And so <laughs> that sounds like a big deal. I know. Play me a violin, everybody. But I, I did. Uh, I got to uh, I uh, went camping uh, with uh, my daughter and wife for just one night because then the rainstorm set in up up in Moose Lake, Minnesota, and uh, um, uh, so so I did that. Got a little bit away, but in the hospital, things are getting just a teeny bit. Uh, uh, the pressure's off just a little. I don't want to say a lot because the intensive care units are still quite full with um, two types of patients. First of all, the patients with COVID. There's still quite a few of those, but not as many as before. And then it's it's what we call at Hennepin, it's sort of trauma season. And and that's kind of a, a sad thing in that it's as the summer comes on and the weather gets nicer and people are starting to get outside, we start to see more accidents and and uh, both on, on the water and camping and people being more active. And, and there's unfortunately always a little bit more violence during the summer. And so it's a, our ICUs are full. But other than that, the hospital is sort of where we're collectively uh, uh, having a little sigh of relief just over the last couple months as things have seemed to level off and maybe even getting a little better with regard to COVID in Minnesota hospitals. So that's something that we could all take just a little bit of relief from. I don't know what the future holds, but this month has gotten a teeny bit better. So thanks for asking. Right, well, that's, that's good. Uh, before you introduce your guests, uh, I want to invite our listeners, of course, always to join in on the conversation. If you uh, would like to call in your question for the doctors or send the text, same number applies, 651-989-9226, 651 989 9226. Uh, what are we going to be talking about today, and who's your special guest, uh, Doctor? I am so happy that Dr. Laura Lafave is going to join us today for the show. She was going to be on a few weeks ago, but we thought there was so much going on, both with um, uh, COVID, and then we had to take a few weeks off for the show, and so uh, Laura was going to be on during one of those shows. She's going to be on with us today, and we're going to talk about diabetes, how that affects um, COVID-19, sort of the intersection between those two, and just about diabetes in general. We're going to get to some regular medical topics now in the weeks and months going forward because we've been sort of taking a break from that. So first of all, let me welcome Laura to the show. She's been a guest before. I hope you're on the, on the line, Laura. We're all doing these remotely, but welcome back to the show. Good morning. Thank you, Dr. Hilden. Nice to be here. Happy Father's Day to both you and Denny. Thanks so much uh, uh, for that, Laura, and thanks for being with us here on a Sunday morning, bright and early. I'll, I'll do a little bit of introduction of Dr. Lafave, and then we'll get into our topic. She and I both did our training at Hennepin County Medical Center some years ago. I won't say how many years ago, but we overlapped our training, so we got to work together. Uh, she did her um, uh, her 
specialty training then at the University of Minnesota, and she is an endocrinologist, and I'll let her tell you what all that is. But she did her endocrinology training at the University of Minnesota, and then she worked at the um, Park Nicollet system for many years, or some years, and then she came in back to where she did her training and is an endocrinologist at Hennepin Healthcare now for the last few years. So that's a brief summary of her training, but Dr. Lefebvre, tell us what does an endocrinologist do? So an endocrinologist is a an internist, so an, an internal medicine doctor, just like you, Dave, um, who then focuses on uh, the the endocrine system, which encompasses all of the hormones that your body makes. And so there are a lot of things that can go right with your hormones, and then there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And um, probably the the majority of what we do in endocrinology is that we uh, see patients for diabetes, all different kinds of diabetes, uh, because um, insulin is one of the most important hormones. Well, it's like picking a favorite child. I mean, they're all important, but insulin is the one that probably has the most uh, relevance to um, contemporary disease. So uh, what we do in endocrinology is we see people for thyroid problems, adrenal gland problems, gonadal problems pituitary problems. These are all different hormone systems, but the majority of what we do is see people for diabetes. I absolutely love that, that you have a favorite hormone. You know, you, <laughs> you talk to like the you talk to a kidney doctor, you talk to a nephrologist, and they swear that no, no other organ in the human body really matters. It's all the kidneys. <laughs> <laughs> and you talk to a cardiologist, and they think it's the heart. I love it. So in an endocrinologist, you don't have one organ. You have all kinds of them all over the body. But you can right. have a favorite hormone, and that's insulin. <laughs> what does insulin do? Laura, what does insulin do? Well, insulin is made by your pancreas, and insulin's job is to... Have your get your body to absorb and use energy. So when you eat food um, and it enters your your bloodstream through your stomach and gut, your insulin is is in your it being released by your pancreas into your bloodstream, and its job is to extract or remove the energy from that food and get it into the cells and organs where it's needed. So that's the job of insulin, the main job. That that's a, that's as good an explanation as I've ever heard. So you so that so problems with insulin then lead to diabetes. So now, or and can Correct. you give us just a little bit of yeah. the of the basics of type one, type two, and then after yeah. the break, we're going to talk a little bit sure. about why diabetes is a risk for COVID. But give us a little, you know, sure. diabetes one on one. Sure. So uh, there are two basic differences um, when you're talking about diabetes. Type 1 diabetes is a situation where the pancreas stops making insulin at all. And so um, that is usually uh, diagnosed in childhood, although it can be uh, can and is increasingly in, uh, uh, diagnosed in adulthood as well. Um, and that problem leads to an immediate need to take insulin injections. So a body cannot live without insulin. And so if your pancreas stops making it, you absolutely need to take insulin injections via shots or an insulin pump to be able to get uh, insulin to your body that's needed for life. Um, the much more common type of diabetes, which is type 2 diabetes, is probably more of a problem with insulin resistance. So 
uh, a person who has type 2 diabetes will typically continue to make insulin from their pancreas, but their body won't be using it as efficiently as, as it was. And so um, in order to, and without adequate effects of insulin, the blood sugar goes up. And that's why uh, people with diabetes have high blood sugars or hyperglycemia. And so, so a lot of the different yeah, treatment, uh, tr- treatments of type 2 are different from type 1 because we're, we're getting at sort of a different underlying cause. So we're talking to Dr. Laura Lafave about diabetes today. Um, we're just getting into the preliminaries now. Um, if you're just joining us on the show today, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back and talk about why does something that has to do with insulin and blood sugar and all that, what's that got to do with a respiratory virus like COVID? Because that connection, Laura, might not be uh, uh, real obvious to everybody, including me. So, Denny, is it time for yeah. a break? It is indeed. We'll do a quick break here and again inviting our listeners to join in. Already they're doing that very thing, both phone calls and text messages. Here is the number for either 651-989-9226. It's Healthy Matters this Father's Day morning on News Talk 830 WCCO. Uh, good morning. Welcome back to Healthy Matters. Our phone number is 651-989-9226 if you want to call it in or text it in. That same number Applies, And we'll get to the phones and text messages, but uh, let's right now get back to Dr. Hilden and his guest. Thank you, Danny. Good morning, everybody. If you're just joining us, I'm with Dr. Laura Lafave, an endocrinologist at Hennepin Healthcare. We're talking about diabetes, but now I want to pivot just slightly to talk about diabetes and coronavirus. So, Laura, if you could, why is diabetes lumped in as one of those risk factor conditions for getting coronavirus more seriously. It doesn't seem to be intuitively obvious why that might be the case, or do we even know? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so we, what we know about diabetes and, and COVID-19 is that diabetes really is a distinct comorbidity of COVID-19. Um, and by, by that, we mean that when, when people who have so just to be clear, people who have diabetes are not not, not more likely to get the infection um, of COVID-19. That's not really the case. But when people who have diabetes get infected with COVID-19, they tend to have more severe disease. Um, and we know that um, just from from some theories from um, from China, which is where a lot of the you know, the, the data is coming from um, because of the early um, uh, infection there um, is that people who have diabetes who get coronavirus are three times as likely to die as patients who don't. So this is a very, very serious situation because um, <clears throat> it's obviously uh, when, uh, when, when a person has um, particularly uncontrolled diabetes. So when, when they do not have great control of their diabetes, and there's a whole variety of reasons why that may be the case, um, but their, you know, their risk for getting seriously ill, um, having worse um, respiratory distress, um, lung failure, and in fact, death is higher. So some of the reasons that we think that people who have, um, who have diabetes get worse COVID infections is due to their immune system. So um, something we've known all, all along, or not all along, but uh, for many years, is that 
when you have hyperglycemia, so when blood sugars are higher and, um, and a person's diabetes is not under control, it basically sets up a situation where the immune system is not able to fight off infections and clear infections as well. And um, that is, you know, historically included pneumonias and cellulitis and um, bladder infections, kidney infections, wound infections. I mean, all the infections that we've typically seen. And we know with influenza that people who have diabetes who uh, get influenza also get sicker. So it's not terribly surprising that um, that in a in a setting where um, the immune system is not working as well, that uh, that we're not able to kind of fight off um, that uh, the uh, COVID nineteen infection either. Um, the the whole state of of having uncontrolled diabetes, you can kind of think of it as like there's there's just a lot of inflammation going on. So when you measure markers of inflammation, so different measures in the blood that can sort of indicate how much inflammation is going on, if you measure those in diabetes, in COVID-19 patients who have diabetes, those levels are just a lot higher. And that's probably signifying that just the level of inflammation and immune system kind of compromise is just is just higher. Um, that's really, yeah, that's interesting about the inflammation because that's what we're learning so much about patients who get seriously ill with COVID. And, I, and I'm glad you made that distinction that people with diabetes aren't more likely to get the infection. They get it the mm-hmm. same way everybody else does. But mm-hmm. if they do get infection, they might have more serious illness because of all this inflammation. We're learning so much about this um, yeah. apple COVID as we go, and that's something that keeps coming up in a variety of settings for me. Laura, are you okay if you take a call from a listener now? Okay. All right, let's do that again. Here's the phone number for you, either a phone call or text, 651-989-9226. I believe Tom is calling from Stillwater, Minnesota, with a question. Go ahead, Tom. Doctor, we have not had uh, our cleaning person come since March, and uh, I just wondered if now with summer, if we open all the windows and doors, use the ceiling fans, make, uh, have her wear gloves, uh, and we get out of here, if it wouldn't be pretty safe to have her come and clean the house. So I don't, um, I don't know what everybody else is doing because there's not really an exact uh, um, formula for, for when we can be back into our normal activities. Laura, have you had anybody in your house yet? I'm going to ask you right now live on the air. I mean, just in general. Have you have, have you invited other people into your home yet? And then I'll tell you what I'm doing. Um, we, have had, uh, we have had people in our backyard um, who have sat six feet away from us. Um, we have had uh, a couple of people come into our house to use the bathroom. Um, and that is in the setting of hanging out in our backyard. Um, although when, when we've done that, we are sure to kind of clean and disinfect everything before they come in, after they leave, you know, immediately. And then we don't use anything communal. So, you know, paper towels instead of cloth towels in the bathroom to dry your hands with and things like that. Um, that's, that's about the extent of it at this point. Yeah, that's about, about us, too. That's about us, too. So to Tom's question, can you have mm-hmm. people in your house? It is largely thought. I don't, you know, and mm-hmm. again, this is just the, the the evidence is evolving. But it's largely thought now that the risk of getting it off of surfaces 
is yep. real, but perhaps a little bit less than yep. getting, well, it's less than getting it in the, in the air. So if you do what, what Dr. LaFave just suggested and, and, and you have someone in your house and you don't use, you, you make sure everything's wiped down. You're not in the same room together. And um, I think it's probably um, a lower risk situation. But although I'm, I've, I'm steering away from saying no risk to mm-hmm. anything because everything's got a little bit of a risk. I agree with Dr. Okay. You can have people in your yard. You can have, um, you know, from a distance. But if people come into the home, you should wipe everything down and don't touch common surfaces. That's kind of your biggest um your biggest risk. So if you choose to have someone like a, a worker come into your house, I wouldn't be in the house with them. I would mm-hmm. just make sure that you're not there at the same time. That would be a higher risk as well. Agree. I know we have to take a break, bottom of the hour break. We have about another half hour of the show to go. And as we head into this break, Dr. Hilden, is there still that need uh, with your healthy health professional colleagues uh, that we can still maybe uh, donate masks, things like that? There is some need for that. What we're doing at the hospital is everybody wears a mask, and we give them to patients as well. So we are taking donations of masks. Um, These are the homemade kind. We do have a situation now where we're okay on the hospital um, professional medical grade quality masks. We're doing fine. We have enough for our staff. We have enough for um, for our our routine needs. What we don't have enough for is to give one out to everybody who comes in the campus. And so patients sometimes need them going home. Visitors sometimes need them. So we keep a stash. And, and so those are helpful. If you need any information about um, COVID nineteen donations or how you can help, you just go to hennepinhealthcare.org and it's on the very first page. Hennepinhealthcare.org. Very good. We'll take this break. Be right back with more. We'll have a look at that forecast, too, coming right up here on News Talk 830 WCCO. And welcome back to Healthy Matters, 651-989-9226. That's the number if you want to join in on the conversation, either by phone call or uh, by a text message, 651-989-9226. And Dr. Hilden, for those of us maybe you joined us a little bit late, who did you bring with you today? Thank you, Denny, and happy Father's Day to all. I have Dr. Laura Lefebvre, an endocrinologist. We're talking about the intersection between COVID-19 and diabetes. So I want to thank uh, Dr. Lefebvre for being on early this morning on a Sunday morning. Um, And before we get to the calls and texts, and I know that several of you are waiting, so uh, we will get to you. But I want to ask you, Laura, a little bit about about. For your patients who have diabetes, many of them have been unable to get to the clinics due to shutdowns and, and, and a lot of clinics, including our own, going to a lot of phone and video visits. But for people with diabetes, that's an illness that requires ongoing monitoring. What do you see as some of the challenges for people with diabetes um, getting care, and what are the effects of maybe not getting care during COVID-19? That, thanks for asking, Dave. That's a great question, too. Um, you know, I, I think that this, this, um, this situation that we're in is, is really has proven to be such a, such a sea change for our world and society, and also this really giant opportunity. Um, the, the, as you say, you know, ongoing care for patients with diabetes is just critical. Um, the, the 
things, the ways that the, this, this pandemic has affected our daily lives in terms of we are just not as active. We are not, uh, we haven't been, you know, able to get outside as much as we normally would. Our, our food, access to food, our, our, our eating patterns, our eating habits, everything has been so immediately impacted by this um, that it's really been a struggle for people, I think, all across the board. Um, and, and, and maybe just that much harder for people with diabetes to be able to control and regulate their blood sugars in a way that um, they were even able to do before. So that being said, um, I can't think of another area of medicine that lends itself better to having remote uh, care go on. So I have to admit, I don't think any of us were quite ready to shift so quickly to a model where we were doing telephone and video visits. I think it was, it was obviously just like everything else with this, it was more abrupt than we would have liked. But what I have found is that it's just, it's really an amazing opportunity. Like I said, you know, diabetes, uh, the, the care that people get for their diabetes uh, relies on so many different things, but but one thing is just the interaction, you know, with your care team, your your doctor, your diabetes educator, your nurse practitioner, the nurse in the clinic. I mean, all these things, and so much of that can be done remotely. So um, what I found is that um, we, you know, it's been I have been able to actually like visit more with patients um, who I maybe would have seen every three months, but now maybe we'll just have, you know, a, a quick phone follow-up a month after after a visit to follow up on some changes that we made, you know, the month before. Um, and it seems like this is, I, I don't, certainly don't want to go where people are not coming into clinic because as a, as a physician, I think the, the reason I went into this field was to see people to get to know them in person and to feel like we really, you know, had a connection in, in real time, in real life, face to face. But I do see a huge role for, for telemedicine, for sort of ongoing use of phone and video uh, visits to sort of supplement that in the future. So, um, you know, that comes to mind, like a lot of the uh, patients who are in nursing homes, for example, for whom it's really a, a very challenging thing anyway, just to get into the clinic. Now we sort of have this infrastructure set up where we're just getting better at, at being able to get the information we need, have the inter interaction with the patient, and be able to make changes and recommendations from afar, which I think is extremely powerful. So um, like I said, I, I want my patients to come back into clinic because I like seeing them, but I also really think that this is a, a big tool that we we are now going to be able to um, take advantage of in an ongoing way. So, yeah, I agree completely. And I, what I've been telling patients is that yes, our clinics are open, but you know we have a variety of means to see you now. It's telephone, yeah. it's video, it's in person yeah. if you need be. But don't delay your care anymore. Yeah. Um, you need to see your doctor. I agree with you, Laura. You know, none of us went into medicine to be on the phone. <laughs> and we all imagine sitting in a in an exam room, you know, with our patient and talking to them and hearing about how they're 
how their month's been going, and it's a little harder to do via virtual meetings, but there really is a role for it, and it might be just the thing for some patients um, uh, right about now and going into the future. Hey, Denny, um, we do have some listeners on the line, and we do have some text messages, and maybe we could take some of those now. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, In fact, they're related on, on topic here. Uh, when uh, here's one text says when making a reference to out of control diabetes and COVID-19, what do you consider out of control? What would the A1C be, for example? That's a great question too. So um, first I'll just, just for listeners purposes, um, just review what the A1C is. So when we are uh, uh, monitoring how well um, uh, somebody is doing with their diabetes, we measure a lab test called a hemoglobin A1C. And this is a measure of what percent of a person's red blood cells have been exposed to too high levels of blood sugar over the previous three months. So it's kind of a backwards-looking, retrospective, look in the rearview mirror and see how has your diabetes control been over the previous three months. And a normal A1C, meaning you just don't have diabetes at all, would be under 5.7%. And so um, one of the ways we can actually diagnose diabetes is to have a, find an A1C over 6.5%. So if your A1C is over 6.5% on more than one occasion, that gives you a diagnosis of diabetes. So when we're aiming for really good tight control, meaning that we're, we're aiming for a level of control of diabetes where we are pretty confident that we are minimizing the risks of complications from diabetes, we're usually looking at under 7%. So we're not looking for 5%. 5% would be in a non-diabetes range, and we're actually not going for that. But under 7% is generally where we would consider that uh, diabetes is under tight control. Now, that, there are some differences and, and some caveats about that because there's, there's um, other factors. So if somebody has uh, multiple other medical conditions, they're an older patient, we might be shooting for more like under 8 or even 8.5%. So when I'm talking about uncontrolled diabetes in the setting of COVID, I'm kind of using that around there, 8 to 8.5. So over 8 to 8.5 is where we have historically said that patients are, when they have A1Cs in that range, 8.5 or above, that their their risks for poor wound healing, for um, poor surgical outcomes um, are are higher. So in in that range, I would say that that's where we're looking at at risk of of, uh, COVID infection being worse. Now, this is going to probably reveal itself. I mean, with time, once we have accrued or gotten together all of the data on, on what, what's happened with COVID, we'll, we will be able to look back then and say, okay, these patients who had an A1C, for example, over 10 did worse than the patients who had an A1C over, you know, over 8.5. So there'll be a lot of data that we'll get after this kind of, you know, ends. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, that, that's what I, I would say is, you know, 8 to 8.5 is where, is where you're, you're shooting for. I think we're going to get a yeah. lot of data in the coming years, don't you think, yeah. Laura? Because right now we're all we're we're all making pretty educated guesses. But I think sure. you're absolutely right that you know 
It, what, 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 one thing that was a little encouraging for me is because so many people with diabetes are struggling and they hear, well, I got to get my, my sugars yep. normal. I got to get them normal. And maybe if you're hovering around 7%, you know, th- that's okay is what I'm hearing. Oh, you. But sure. eight, nine, yeah. 10%. No. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I've had this, this conversation many, many times now with patients is just, just what we know initially with COVID and, and diabetes, there is no time like the present. I mean, I think it really is, you know, this, like I said, this is an opportunity because as, as we go here and, and sometimes it does feel like we're, we're treading water and we're looking all around and trying to figure out, like you say, Dave, in sort of an educated guessing kind of way. But this is a huge opportunity to say, okay, if this is truly the fact that people who have uncontrolled diabetes get worse infection with COVID, what are all the things that I can do to protect myself? Well, the number one thing is to, is to, is to tighten your control. And so, you know, with the help of, you know, your, your family, your friends, your care team, I mean, all these things play into that. But, but I think there's really no time like the present to kind of, to really focus in on getting, getting uh, that A1C down if it's certainly if it's over 8.5. Great advice. Denny? Yes, uh, let's take a quick break here. And again, we'll be back with more phone calls and text messages. So those folks on the line, uh, please stay there. And we'll grab some more text messages, as I said, uh, as well. Here is the phone number for either, 651-989-9226. You're listening to Healthy Matters this Father's Day morning here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to the remaining minutes of our Healthy Matters show this morning. Uh, we have callers, doctors, and uh, we have text. So uh, if you uh, will, let's uh, get to the phones. I think a couple of folks have been waiting quite a while. Jim in Plymouth is first up here. Thanks, Jim. What is your question? My question is, my wife passed away April 20th, and she was in the hospital and then into a care center and back and forth. And when I got the death certificate, said the cause of death was COVID-19, and I got uh, some medical, her medical records from the hospital, and uh, I couldn't understand everything because a lot of it is just initials, <laughs> but it said she had number two diabetes, and she had diabetes for many years, and it was number one, and I talked to her diabetic doctor, and he didn't quite understand how that could happen because she was one of his best patients. She took real good care of herself, and uh, he didn't quite understand how that could go from one to two. Um, uh, Jim, this is David Hillen. First of all, let me just say I'm so sorry for the for the loss of your wife. I'm really sorry, and you have our condolences. That that's not too long ago, and so I. I I hope you're doing okay, and thank you for your call in. But but let me just start off by saying how sorry I am for your loss, Doctor Lefebvre. Um, on 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 Jim's wife's death certificate, it says type one versus type two, and it seems to have changed. Any thoughts on why that might have been the case? Yeah, uh, Jim, I too am so sorry. That's terrible, and I I appreciate you calling and and asking this question because I know it must feel hard and and raw to. Uh, uh, think of that. Um, you know, when we talk about type 1 and type 2 diabetes, um, sometimes it's very clear what type of diabetes somebody had. So, for example, 
um, you know, if your wife had had type 1 diabetes since she was a little kid, that would have been probably a great, um, you know, pretty clear cut or pretty clear that she had type 1 diabetes. Um, on the other hand, if she was diagnosed as an adult, it certainly is uh, possible that it could have been type 2 diabetes um, all along. Now, it's always hard to kind of go back and sort of second guess that and think, was this, you know, was, was this really type 1 or type 2? So having had it since she was a little kid, having had to take insulin her whole life for it, um, actually having fewer family members with, with diabetes, all of those things would maybe point to it really being type 1. There's also uh, diagnostic tests, blood tests that we do sometimes to try to discern or, or figure out what kind of diabetes somebody has. Um, so it's, it's a little hard to know how the diagnosis um, could have changed if, you know, if her, if her physician treating her all the way along had felt that she had type 1 diabetes. You know, that probably is the case um, without knowing the whole history here. Um, one, one thing I would say, and this is maybe also just speaking to some of the effects that we see with COVID on diabetes, is that remember earlier we were talking about um, the fact that type 2 diabetes comes from a problem with, with insulin resistance or with um, uh, the body's inability to use insulin. And that becomes so dramatically worse with COVID-19 infections. And so that, that's what we have seen from the sort of endocrine or, or diabetes standpoint as we've helped to care for these patients in the hospital is that the, the, even people who have type 1 diabetes, who, who normally might require just a little bit of insulin to control their blood sugars, when they get this infection, their need for insulin goes skyrocket. And so they, they actually almost look like they have sort of an exaggerated type 2 diabetes. That's partly due, as we talked about, with the inflammation from the, from the um, underlying diabetes plus the infection. It's also, in many cases, related to, to medicines that are being used to treat the COVID. So, for example, high-dose steroids that have to be used in some cases um, can make the blood sugars much worse, and it can almost look like a patient, like I said, has very exaggerated type 2 diabetes. So I, I don't know whether that was the case with, with your wife, whether there was, um, you know, a, a fact, the fact that, that maybe blood sugars were so high, the insulin resistance may have been quite severe in the setting of the infection, that it may have almost presented or looked like a, like a type 2 situation. So, um, I, you know, I don't know without knowing um, exactly, but th those are some thoughts that I would have about how, how that could be, could be sort of interpreted a certain way on, on, the, on, the, um, on the death certificate. But thank again, you, Lauren. So and Jim, thank so you for sorry. your call yeah. in. Yeah, we're yeah. so sorry about your loss. Um, Denny, we're running out of time. These hours we, go so fast. We, uh, we do. We only have about 60 seconds uh, left to go. Any, uh, any final thoughts before, uh, before we head out of here? Uh, just let me um, say, um, if, if you need an endocrinologist, if you need a doctor of any kind, but I'm going to say specifically, if you need an endocrinologist, Dr. Lafave sees patients at our endocrinology clinic in downtown Minneapolis. 
It's got great, easy access, underground parking. She is open for not only in-person visits, but video and phone visits. We are here for you if you need your care. Don't let your diabetes care wait. The number is 612-873-MYMD, or you can go to hennepinhealthcare.org. But that number is 612-873-6963. Laura, thank you for being on the show again. It's always great to have you on. Thanks, and Dave. I Thanks hope so you and Mike have me. a great day. Yeah, absolutely. So I hope you have a great Father's Day. Happy Thank Father's you. Day, everyone. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Denny. Thank you, doctors, for both being on Healthy Matters. We'll be back again next week in the 7 o'clock hour. Hope you can join us then. Father's Day should be a sunny one here in the Twin Cities. 85, the high right now, 65 degrees.